0: Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 Development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office 365 Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 56.
1: Rich, we're in person. I can touch you. You're real. I know, but I we're we're sitting here in in the Sheraton lobby in downtown Seattle and Andrew Connell who's might have like some sort of like epidemic. It might be like this is the start of the 12 monkeys or something. It, it could be. He's, I feel he's a little bit too close for comfort right now.
0: Basically, he looks like sh- and he's about to go on stage in about two hours at TechReady. Wow. Can your editor, like, bleep out things uh, like we'll, that? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll See what he does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Andrew's in town because he's been doing a lot of work with us on Angular, and um, the Microsoft field have this event called Tech Ready that runs every six months, and we fly them in to Seattle. They all stay downtown, and it's kind of a it's similar to a Build or a Ignite conference, and it's cool because it's behind closed doors, so that's it, we're escorting him to the session to do this presentation in Angular and then we're kicking him out again, so he can't attend any of the sessions. But the field it's great because they get to ask us questions that we wouldn't necessarily be able to answer publicly, but we can share under very strict NDA with our own field, so that you can't tell customers this, but we're willing to, as um, some of our engineers like to call, show a little bit more leg. Um, so we've already shared a few things this week that I think people are happy that we're being a bit more open with the field than what it would be with our preview ISVs or our MVPs and obviously the public. But it's harder these days because, you know, we disclose our roadmap. We're already showing a fair amount of leg to all those other audiences. So it's, sometimes it's hard to even sneak peek stuff to the field because there's not very much we well, have left to show.
1: And the leg is growing like at such a fast rate too that right. you know, it sometimes makes that challenging as well.
0: So um, you've got sessions this week. Which ones can you talk
1: about? I have a session this week on uh, building mobile apps with the Office 365 API. So it's kind of the all-up story, talking about all the different native things, and then also the cross-platform stories with Cordova and, and Xamarin. So cool. Did that, and then spent a little bit of time in the studio this morning doing some uh, getting started sessions. So there's some good stuff coming. On the Dev on, Show. Yeah, the Office Dev Show. We I did, did notice a,
0: you like 24,000 hits on that, that um, Channel 9 video already
1: for Episode 2, dude. Episode 2 was like a fluff one. It was just kind of the general talk, but I mean, we're getting into the meat of it now. I did a we did a session this morning on building uh, Office 365 add-ins and uh, disconnected like third-party applications with Python with PHP. Uh, we did a Cordova session with the Ionic framework that was really cool. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff coming to the that, that show.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre because if you go to their homepage, you you can't see any office stuff on there so I don't know how you're getting this many click throughs but it's awesome so what you have to do on the next time you do a recording you have to really plug this show absolutely yeah you know check out the podcast that's right so it's brilliant though that we're getting that much exposure so um, yeah I was just going to check episode one is now on nearly 25,000 views and 21,000 views on your video. So you're looking good, man. You've got your own shirt on. Do you ever change? Look, you, every time I see you wearing that shirt.
1: I, I, yeah. Occasionally? You should see how many of, like, the little Grey Summit shirts I have. <laughs> Two per city, yeah, it added up. You've got like a second wardrobe of office swag. Pretty much, yeah. And
0: yeah, my girlfriend was like, what's in that drawer? Like, why don't you have all your t-shirts hanging up on the rack? And I'm like, that's all my conference ones. She goes, well, don't you need to be iron? I was like, no, no, no. You don't iron conference t-shirts. You yeah. wear them all scruff. It's part of the look. <laughs> so um this week, um, there's been a bit of a headache. We, um, the Visual Studio 2013 April update. Uh, put your hands up if you're listening or toot your car horn if you're listening and you've installed that update on 2013. No, I guess you haven't, um, because otherwise we'd have had a lot more people complaining about this. Uh, If you do an ad connected service to our APIs right now with that update in, uh, you'll actually get an error in most cases where it will tell you that you don't have permissions, even if you are logged in to the ad connected service experience with your um, Office 365 administrator user account. Uh, it's a known bug that we only just flagged last week. Um, so we flagged a few questions with Visual Studio on like, why isn't everyone up to date on April update? Like, why is that cadence not happening? It's a good thing if you haven't, because the, the November update currently works. So if you are having this error and you haven't felt to reach out to us, uh, the way to fix this is uninstall the April update, and then install the November update. It'll it'll work. It will go back to working, which is, I've actually proved this in a VM this morning. So, if you are having that issue, um, that's that's a resolution. There is a bug fix already done, but um, because of the way the release cad- cadence works with Visual Studio, it won't be out for about two weeks. So, just for the engineers out there, like you know, just the reality of cycles of updates when you rely on a, a, a global IDE like Visual Studio, and especially when they've been so focused on Visual Studio 2015 and not 2013.
1: Which that that connected service has changed quite a bit, too. It has
0: experience. I, I find it a little more, more clicky. Like, it looks pretty. Yeah. But I am think if I'd have given feedback to them, if I'd have actually seen that in preview, I'd have got them to change a few things.
1: Yeah, it would be nice to be able to, like, there's like they basically broke it up in all the different like permission areas. You yeah. Know? So like files, calendar, contact, users, groups, but. Let's say you only care about users and groups, which is like one of the last ones. You have to click next through all of oh, them. Oh, no, you don't. You can click on the tabs on the left-hand side. I tried. It didn't work all for right, me. Works, on my, one. works well, on my machine, Rich. Yeah, but yours yeah. won't actually register an app in mine. No, that's so. true.
0: <laughs> Hopefully we're not on the same build. That's right. I did RTM this morning, and you can click on the tabs on the left-hand side. It allows you okay. to jump. Yeah. it didn't work for me. Yeah, so. maybe you're on RC or something. No, I'm RTM. Um, and so, yeah, so that's just a heads up on that one. Um, again, toot your horn if you are, uh, have, you've already installed Visual Studio 2015. Uh, you may have noticed that for us in the office world, it's mainly just the ad connected service experience has changed. <laughs> There's been very little change in apps for Office apart from the support to be able to debug against Office 2016 desktop, um, which you could have got with the April update in 2013 of Visual Studio as well. Um, but outside of that, that's really the only change that's inside that for, for our world for now. Uh, and a heads up, there will be very little coming out in the next update, major update that comes out in Visual Studio near the end of the year as well. So, um, the, we're focusing a lot on uh, non Visual Studio IDE development for web developers and stuff as well, so um, I got my Yeoman generator a bit further down the line now, it'll actually run an add-in in SSL mode on OS X, so I'm, I'm about ready now to open source that and get people playing with it, which should be pretty cool. Uh, that's one thing we showed this week and people seem pretty impressed with that so that's good.
1: Um, the community, what blogs have been out there this week, Rich? Oh, there's been a there's been a few so there's a uh, one blog post Tobias Oh Tobias did this so this is about basically using um, the api's CSOM api's to be able to go and query all the apps that are in your app catalog now, the app catalog is we talk about all the time that being just another list inside of a SharePoint site um, and there's no reason why you can't go and, and query that if you want to you know display those list of of uh, trusted apps that you have in other places including office if you want to go and show any sort of office apps you might have in your catalog as well you know you can go out and query those you know using either CSOM or rest so kind of cool to see that and what types of things people might end up doing with it
0: yeah, and, and it's good to see Tobias back on the scene because I know he's been very busy. I, like people are quite cyclical, I guess, that like they get tied into big projects or they start working on non-frontend stuff because they just need a break from it. Uh, which I, you know, sometimes I have to force myself to do, and that's why I've been learning like Angular and Node recently just to get a fresh head. So it's good to see Tobias back blogging um, a bit more focused on that stuff. But all his stuff's very like high quality, and that's why he deserves his MVP, his rung. And the other one was um, Vardaman Disbandi uh, from the UK, and he was writing about how you can use the JavaScript object model to provision SharePoint artifacts using declarative XML. So it's a bit of a spin on what we talk about from remote provisioning, which we tend to push from a managed code, c VB, not VB.net, using the uh, .NET SDK assemblies, uh, but doing it from a JavaScript client-side perspective. So um, that's a really good post too. So um, big thanks to Vardaman for that. And then lastly, uh, from a community side, um, Matthias Igning, another SharePoint MVP that uh, runs kind of spcaf.com, which is a product that we've talked about a bit on the show around analyzing your, not just your full trust code farm solutions now, but also it actually scans SharePoint add-ins as well and gives you kind of best practices and usage stuff around those packages too. I really wanted to get on board and do office add-in stuff as well. So go and scan my VSTO add-ins and tell me what I can do there and what I can't do there. But um, this post he's put out there explains about the fact that, you know, as we've mentioned on the show, I think, before, SB Dispose Check doesn't work um, with the 20, 2013 uh, versions of the DLLs. It was built in 2010, and um, our engineering teams never shipped a fixed version of it working with 2013. So, SPCaf is um, an option of how to check your code for memory leaks. And Rich, do you want to just explain what that means? Like why, what's the issue with memory leaks and SharePoint code for those that maybe haven't been around the traps long enough with managed code in SharePoint? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, so, I mean, you actually said it right there is like, managed code and the, the .NET framework, which really brought forward the concept of like garbage collection. And that's that's a weird term if you're not like really deep in the coding world, but garbage collection was all about like as I use memory, I'm gonna automatically get rid of it as, as I don't use it, as I don't need it anymore. Well, if you look at when .NET was introduced, it was around 2001, which happens to be the same time SharePoint came around. So it was hard to put out a product like SharePoint that was written on a, a brand new framework. So the original SharePoint was more com-based and therefore doesn't automatically dispose of, of all this memory, and so from the very get go, SharePoint has some of these like legacy hooks that can cause memory leaks if you're not smart about how you deal with your your objects.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that, that and it's very common. Like I've done tons of code reviews where you know you look at the code and they haven't used using statements correctly or. Sometimes they've disposed of the objects and when they shouldn't because there's certain scenarios where it should do it and shouldn't do it. And and SP Dispose Check kind of helped you with that. And I think it was a Roger Lambs blog post on MSDN that it always used to reference all the should and should nots. Uh, It was definitely one of the challenges of SharePoint development back in the day with farm solutions. So, you know, if you still are building farm solutions, I'd highly recommend getting sbcaf.com and running it through your projects because I'm sure if you run it, you'll realize you've got a few of those things that can really impact the performance of your farms. So definitely give it a whirl. And then another thing from our side, we've been updating slightly but surely all of our training content based on everything we announced at Build and Ignite. So um, we've been busy um, updating the Outlook um, add-in this week and also the Files API and the SharePoint API modules. So the hands-on labs now have got additional exercises based on some of those new API endpoints we've got pushed through and we'll be shipping the other add-ins for Excel, PowerPoint and Word new samples and hands on labs um, available there too. So they're on the show notes but just go to dev.office.com slash training and you'll be able to see those new training, training um, hands on lab updates in there as well, which is pretty cool. And then lastly, this one came, Mark Anderson pinged me on Twitter. There was a bunch of traffic and chatter about this and I asked him to ping this in the Yammer network and went and did my homework to find out why, how this has happened. But um, Mark Anderson, being the JavaScript hacker that he is, and I, I said that in the most complimentary way I can possibly do with my teeth gridded, um, <laughs> found out that um, there, we now reference this thing called um, requirejs as a JavaScript library which is an open source library um, that many web developers use to essentially handle all of the kind of dependencies of when you're writing JavaScript code and um, I talked to the engineering teams and the you know just wanted to find out like why when we started using this and you know what we can communicate with people and essentially the story we have right now and what we want to share and disclose with engineering is pretty pretty open is that, yes, it is in the SharePoint Online instance uh, there, and you can see require.js in in your environments. It's being used uh, to kind of check for dependencies on certain JavaScript libraries, but this is an experiment. So much like other areas of Office 365 have experiments going on, this is an experiment, and this is something that is, in fact, in preview. And so uh, what we're recommending, or what we're definitely guiding on, is, is that this shouldn't be something that you depend on. So um, if you start using required.js which has been referenced by us in line with those pages and then we pull required.js because we decide that experiment failed, it's going to break your code essentially. So um, we're basically saying not to make a tie to that yet until we disclose that as a full uh, RTM feature within the product. And this will happen more and more um, because the engineering team essentially in short are more and more looking at what open source libraries are out there and how we can benefit from them. We've used jQuery for a long, long time. Um, a lot of them new ready to go to portals or are using all sorts of different frameworks there. Um, I think some that's using Knockout and um, Bootstrap I believe is in there as well for some of those new video portals and things. So yes, we are kind of jumping on with the open source projects and seeing how they work and seeing how it interacts with our, with our existing customizations. So if you do have feedback around that, please jump on the Yammer network and, and provide that feedback. If you're having issues like a bug where it's breaking your code. Um, it's certainly something that we're probably going to immediately tell you to provide repo steps for us, and, and, and but actually submit a support call. Um, so go through the admin center, your Office 365 tenant, and create a support ticket with your repo steps um, if you are having issues there. We haven't heard of anything yet. This is more of a Mark Anderson, and I, th- and I think there was someone else uh, on Twitter that had mentioned it as well, that had, um, you know were just intrigued by what it was. So I, we just wanted to go and get an answer for you and, and get back to you. So kind of end of the statement is, yes, we are experimenting this these things. It is in preview. Don't tie your code to it. If you do need to use that, then you're obviously going to have to make sure that you play nicely and it sits side by side with our instance of required.js, which is running on the page. So um, with that, was there anything else you wanted to share this week before we jump into the show?
1: Uh, no, just uh, hope everyone's having a good summer, and we've got to check out the the Opus Dev Show
0: on Channel 9 as well? Yeah, go, definitely go and watch those episodes. And I believe there's one being published, well, it would have been yesterday by the time the show comes out on Wednesday. And that's sort of on it. Oh no, is it Vesta's show? It's Vesa, isn't it? yeah. So Vessa's Patterns and Practices show. So I'm sure for all the fanboys out there that are kind of, you know, idolize Vessa, that those hits will be a lot higher than yours, Rich, unfortunately. Hey, he's he... the, the Finnish, Finnish master. Yeah. So, um, yeah, okay, well, enjoy your um, uh, session this afternoon. Good luck. I'm going to be Thanks. sitting at the back of Andrew's session with a face mask on, uh, warning everyone that they could potentially be carrying SARS by the time they finish their session at Tech Ready.
1: If if Andrew's wife listens to this show, she's got to be concerned because we always, like, Bring up things like him getting hit by a car, <laughs> him having like SARS or yeah. some sort of like. Let's see if we can start these rumors.
0: So yeah. you know, everyone have a good tweet about Andrew this week and see whether it gets back to his wife without actually contacting his wife. I think that's a good kind of mission for this week. <laughs> cool. All right, well enjoy your week, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show with Doug. It was great to get him on. He's been a SharePoint MVP for a long time and a, a really good friend. And I'm, I'm really impressed with what he's built. And I encourage you guys to try it out as well. So all the links are in the show notes and. Um, have a good week okay welcome to the show
2: doug hey jeremy i'm glad to be here
0: it's been a been a while mate i think the last time i saw you and i'm probably gonna get this wrong and you're gonna we're gonna forget some epic moment we had together in a bar somewhere but it was probably the mvp summit
2: yeah i think that's right i've been just heads down doug the dev hermit ever since then trying <laughs> to finish this uh product stack that i've been working on
0: are you coming to the summit this year do you think
2: oh yeah i wouldn't miss it for anything
0: good yeah, I think it'd be fun this year. We've, um, I think last year with the the way the cadence is, is going from the kind of three years down to, I guess three months is a realistic kind of major push. And with our big moments every six months, the engineers have got a fair bit to share that's, you know, they're more iterative. They've got more things they can demo and get feedback on earlier. And I think we're actually going to be sharing a ton of stuff that, they're just whiteboarding, not even documents built. So the, I'm looking forward to seeing how the summit changes this year around that stuff.
2: Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see it. I mean, the rate of change is so fast now um, that hearing it from the horse's mouth is just essential. Because otherwise, I just understand.
0: And the other cool bit is, is that, as Julia White said at WPC this week, or last week, sorry the show comes out, is that SharePoint is not dead. And um, at the summit, we'll actually have some really cool stuff to show you. This is November. The summit will be show you guys around what we're doing to kind of enhance SharePoint and enhance the development story around SharePoint as well. Because we, we didn't turn our back on it per se, but we most definitely were focusing on the APIs and the, the office add-ins a bit more than we were the SharePoint stuff to date since announcing the, uh, The app model and rename it to the adding model three years ago, I guess.
2: Oh man, I can't believe you guys renamed that. I had all my stuff written to say app and now I have to go back and change it someday. (laughs) Dude, like
0: these people complain and I've got 80 hours of training content. (laughs) Oh, I feel you. With slide decks, hands-on labs, uh, video recordings, and it's been a a nightmare going through dev.office.com. Our content management system is Orchard and we had to go through and I had, well, we, it was me. The Royal Wii. Um, I had to go through and like change all those things. Like Any reference to the word app model has to be changed to add in model.
2: Oh, man. Can't we just call them app-ins? So just- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have made the find and replace a little bit easier because... Yeah, I bet you. Cause, because obviously with Office 365, app launcher, and my apps page, they're apps. So, I can't just do a straight app find and replace because uh-huh. it depends on the context. So, that's, that was... Well, actually, to be fair, I did that in the evening over a few beers, so it wasn't too bad. But
2: uh, I think it's uh, all in all, uh, uh, probably a better name. Um, it's just you know a little inconvenient for some of us with a lot of content.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like I, there's a few threads that I've been sent by people that were around for the original renaming, uh, the original naming of the model, and it, some of the suggestions were horrific. And it was kind of I got the argument of why we didn't stick with add-ins because we wanted to have a new model, and um, you know make it very clear that this is new and wasn't just an improved from the office side, office in inside. But, um, I, I think it resonates a lot better when we talk about it with people. That's
2: for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you can't do much worse than features.
0: Well, features is a horrible one though. That's definitely for sure. And that was one that stuck. That was engineering. They did obviously the manifest files were all built and that's what the develop, the engineers use. So it marketing couldn't really turn around and go, we want to n- name this foo," because then engineering would have to go back through and, change the entire, you know, plumbing of what happens in the background in SharePoint.
2: We don't have to for that.
0: A little bit like SP Web and SP Site and Site Collections and Sites and Webs and all that jazz.
2: Oh, man, this code base I have now has gotten so big. I was counting the files the other day and it's, you know, it's in the four figures. And uh, uh, being a, in startup mode, you know, you, d- you don't want to gild the fork. Right while you're working, and I was looking at a couple of the things when I noticed that the my naming conventions had drifted. Code that I wrote, and I was like, someday somebody's going to look at this and they're going to be like, "The developer who did this sucks." And then I realized it's probably going to be me. I'll forget that I'm the one that wrote it. You know, and it's like three or four years from now,
0: you'll be like, "Oh my god, what was I doing?" Like I was an idiot. Yeah, we actually. I was on the way to work today. I was listening to .NET Rocks show one one six six, which is Solid Principles and .NET with Chris Clark, who's a he's somewhere in west eastern europe somewhere did you see his
2: picture that's a great picture yeah
0: it's it's pretty scary <laughs> so they mentioned it on the show but they didn't describe what it was but it actually looks like your instaquick logo in actual fact he's got like four black eyes and then this like arrow thing going through his eyes and his tongue out like it's very kiss like
2: i could never pull that off
0: no i think you should i think that should be your <laughs> new profile photo <laughs> Um, I'll add that to the show notes because it was all around um, solid principles and it was really good discussion about how far you should go with kind of like using interfaces and um, the the single principles and it it was it was actually quite interesting. It's been a long time since I've been involved well 18 months I guess now since I've been involved in a a, you know architecting a product that is going to last for a long time and can withstand change rather than kind of the way we do things now which is I'm demoing things in two minutes and, and really that's as far as I go so it was interesting to see where the world's going with that stuff for sure
2: uh, that's the that's the reason why I still use C Sharp on the server side uh, instead of having switched to Node.js back oh in 2013 I lobbied the product group to uh, make it possible to use the CSOM version of JSON uh, for Node because you couldn't create a client context. And uh, I spent quite a bit of time looking at it. And at at the end of the day, I decided that uh, I love the flexibility of JavaScript for working with a DOM document that's itself inherently flexible and has uh, other people's components in it. But for a server and dealing with formal databases and uh, services and all that stuff, that uh, the the rigor that I get with uh, fully object-oriented code is just, It can't be beat. On the other hand, that's why my naming conventions are so screwed up because, you know, you have a set that you try to use on one side and then a completely different set that you try to use on another side and you just can't help yourself. You're going to mix them up. Yeah. Yeah. And I eventually just gave up. (laughs) It wasn't worth the trouble.
0: And even like things like Style Cop and FX Cop can only get you so far with like keeping you in tech touch with your naming conventions
2: right well you know when you have no bugs and you don't have any features you want to implement then the details of those reports are fascinating (laughs) the rest of the time you just got better stuff to take care of yeah
0: it's just like ignore turn those rules off Yeah. yeah i know yeah we've all been there that's for sure so we've kind of jumped straight into having a conversation. Um, but for those of people on the like listening in the car or on their commute, um, who are you, Doug?
2: Oh, so uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm a SharePoint Server MVP out of Atlanta. Uh, I've been doing SharePoint uh, full time really since 2007 when I left my job at a company called Magenic. Shout out to Magenic. Um, and started a company called IlluminOcean. So I had a blog, or have a blog that's pretty popular. Uh, back in the day, I had a really popular product called SharePoint Skinner that people use to make themes. Uh, I recorded uh, hundreds of hours of training materials for a company called Dev and LearnDevNow. Now. wrote a lot of courseware. And uh, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of me professionally. I'm all over the place, and uh, when... B pause became a thing back in what 2010? I said, you know, I really want to be able to build applications for the cloud even though it's not possible yet. So um here we are in 2015. And it feels like I've been working on apps since before they were called apps.
0: Cool. And um you're you've been an MVP for how long?
2: Oh my goodness. Uh four years, maybe? I don't know. I'm trying to look at my uh my little trophy i can't see it from here and i I was uh in the mid 90s i was an access mvp wow you admit to that look that's that's pretty brave hey you know everything had a time and a place
0: i was actually in a meeting yesterday um with a guy that's working on some stuff in the office development um engineering area and uh he was an access guy before and i was just like i just i don't know if i could be proud to say that like it's just one of those things I just, as a developer, would refuse to touch.
2: Yeah, you know, at the time that I started using Access, uh, Windows ninety five had obsoleted me. Uh, I'd been building like uh, D base style database apps, and uh, yeah, I mean, you got to remember this was before ten base T was a thing. That's when Access 2.0 came out, right? So it's not like we had, we could even build big distributed systems and you know relational databases and large disks were fairly exotic creatures for those of us in the pc space so you know right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna come out in the year uh 2015 and say hey let's build a robust business solution on access but yeah 1995 that's that's a pretty good best of breed solution so that that dates me though how how darn old i am
0: yeah yeah i'm glad i wasn't around then i was was still a wee little little boy then
2: oh it's all just code it's all just code. Well, the thing you gotta—you'll know by the time you know you get another ten or fifteen years or a couple generations of technology on your belt is that it—it it all basically sucks. <laughs> it's just every generation sucks a little uniquely differently than the previous ones did. Right. That's why we keep changing. And
0: and the next one that comes along, everyone thinks is like radically cooler, and within ten years it's obsolete.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. You know, um, it's funny because what talk about xml and xslt you know and that had its wave. everything should be xml and then it kind of fell off you probably uh could get anybody down the hall to complain about xml and xslt but what's the hot new javascript framework that people have been using the last couple of years
0: right so json and
2: react to js yeah jsx yeah. is json to xsl
0: is that oh i didn't realize that i've not done much with react yet yeah,
2: XSL lives. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, nothing ever dies. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're ideas and you do the best you can. They come into fashion, they go out of fashion, they come back in in a little different form. Nothing ever dies in this business.
0: So, um, what have you been working on recently? I mean, you're a SharePoint MVP, so I'm imagining you've been doing a bunch of stuff around, in and around SharePoint and Office 365.
2: Yeah, so I, uh, I, I really wanted to be in... Office 365, right? Before it was called Office 365. So back in 2011, I mean, what recently, but back in 2011, I started working on a couple of apps or practice management apps for that use sandbox solutions. Yeah. And I wasn't a big fan of sandbox, but I had come up with some architectures that sort of let me do the things that I wanted to do. And I was right on the edge of releasing those things when I found out about the app model and the sandbox was deprecated. Yeah. So you know, I went home and I cried, <laughs> and, and and I considered giving up. But it was like, no, no, no. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try this this app stuff. And so I've got a couple of apps in the store uh, that are called Instant Practice Manager. The one's Instant Legal Practice, and one's Instant Consulting Practice. And I put those out in 2013, and they, they've done pretty well. But they haven't been really a focus because I realized after I put them out that. I had a really good architecture, and everybody that I wanted to show the uh, solutions to, uh, within five minutes, they weren't interested in talking about the features of these products I'd built, but how they were built. Right. And uh, I eventually licensed a bunch of that IP to another company um, called Cloud AG that has a really cool product called ServicePoint three sixty five um, that's based on my framework. And uh, you know, so I, you know, I kind of figured out how to do it, but. Being a small shop, it was getting really labor intensive uh, to be able to maintain multiple apps and deal with all these different code bases. And so I thought to myself, I've got to be able to automate a lot of this stuff that I'm doing with code. And that started me down this really super dangerous path of building another far, far bigger product that I'm about to release, which is called uh, IQ App Central. And it is, um, you know, it's the SharePoint add-in tool that I want. It it has versioning features and ALM, and uh, it makes it crazy easy to build a solution. It makes it easy to uh, take existing farm components and convert them to something that's compatible with the cloud app model. Yeah. 2,000 hours after I started dabbling.
0: And 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 so this was purely because you needed something for you to be able to build your own first add-ins that you built in the store. And they were really targeted at the SMB market, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I guess, you know, from an Office 365 perspective, there's a, it, well, from a software vendor perspective, it's hard to go and reach those people yourself directly.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, that's why I was fascinated by the space was it's, uh, I've been in consulting for a long time and, you know, most of my customers are Fortune Two hundred companies, maybe. Yeah, you know, big organizations and and uh, the the small business market you just couldn't even approach with SharePoint. So um, that was that was my first dream was that I was going to revolutionize that space. But then my second dream, which is really where I am now, is uh, is around these development tools.
0: Yeah, yeah. So basically, taking what we've got, identifying maybe gaps or ways of streamlining. Um, stuff with with additional tooling to help other developers kind of build for this added model.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it shouldn't be difficult to uh, create all of those SharePoint artifacts for your solution, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to make that easy, and I wanted to make it easy to maintain those. And then the the rest of it were the all, all the rest of the features are basically the tooling that I kind of wish that feature framework had become. Uh, so there was a huge amount of work done on component componentry and versioning. And my my uh, inspiration for that was Nougat and uh, NPM and other sorts of packages. I, I've come to realize that a lot of these ecosystems that have sprung up um, in the last few years, are really they're really enabled by their package management systems, the fact that yeah, people yeah. can incorporate other people's work. And uh, that that was a key thing. So, you know, you can take this tool and you can go. I want to take uh, Doug's practice management system as a basis and treat it like a component, and then add my own stuff on it. And meanwhile, I can go ahead and keep versioning my thing without breaking you. And you know, you can bring in, uh, you know, really whatever you, you you feel like. And so, I'm hoping to foster a good ecosystem. Um, you know, so that you can just go, yeah, new app, I need uh, SP services and uh, some bootstrap or this other grid system. And you just check a couple of boxes and your scaffolding is all done. And then you can focus on building, you know, real features that people care about.
0: And so where does it pull this into, are you still, you know, tackling this from a visual studio, 2013, 2015 type approach? Uh,
2: It's a, uh, it's a, provider hosted solution that runs on Windows Azure. And the way it works is you connect it to a site for authoring and a site for testing in development mode. Yeah. And uh, you basically say, you know, say your solution is going to have some fields, a content type, a list, a workflow, a web part page or a wiki page, maybe some navigation. You just set that stuff up in the user interface or maybe you um, add JavaScript files or CSS files and you go into this tool and you go, I want all of these pieces. And it it pulls them in, manages the metadata. It stores the files uh, in uh, Azure Blob Storage. And then when it comes time to deploy it, uh, you can deploy these things to whatever tenancy or site that you want. And it works against on-prem targets as well as Office 365. And after it's deployed, and this is where a lot of these features come in, is where the, the, the power comes in. You know, Eric Shupp, so you had him on the show not long ago, and he, you know, he's been kind of outspoken that uh, using uh, injection techniques is dangerous, right? Yeah. Right, and why are they dangerous? They're dangerous because there's no way to know what's been injected, right? There's no manageability around that. And so, those are some of the, the problems that this aims to solve. You know, once there's a deployment, you can look and you can go, oh, hey, this deployment has these four packages on it. One, oh, look, one of them's out of date. Uh, you can see how they're licensed, you can turn them off. So, instead of having something where somebody's hacked a master page or unghosted a file, uh, to put their stuff in, it just sits nicely on top of their SharePoint property without modifying the SharePoint files. And it becomes really clear from a governance standpoint, what's actually there.
0: And and so, you know, you talked about from a dev to a test site, but it, 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 does this scenario also work from a, if you wanted to go dev test prod as well?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, over time those, the dev side adds features or Maybe a component that you're using adds some compelling features. You know, the dev test cycle can happen again, and then the deployment administrator can go and see, ah, there's a new version of this. Probably that's communicated, and, uh, you know, they can click the button and update the site. Or, you know, other scenarios, say the users delete the lists or, you know, do something that users do and and trash the site. The admin could go in and re-layer the site with whatever it has been that's uh, been destroyed. So there's a, a... a self-healing aspect of it as well. And all of that's backed by some services. So I call that that mode where the admin goes in and presses a button, a push deployment. Yeah. But you can also take you could also create an app package and uh wrap it with uh you know, put put the magic numbers in for the client ID uh, and the endpoint for the IQ App Central services. And uh, drop it into an app catalog, and a user can install it. So when they launch the app, just makes the call over, and then the server dumps all of the data uh, and structures into their site. That's how the practice management apps work.
0: Uh, so it is actually a, it is an add-in that you can deploy to an environment, and then it calls back into your service to then deploy all the artifacts into it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like, and I call that pull. Okay. Right. So that that takes an app package and pulls all the stuff into the site.
0: So in the app package. Does that um, so that's just got a manifest of all the different components to it?
2: No, the app package just has a, it has a well. It depends, right? So if it's an app web, then it has a page that's going to be the the splash page for the app. Yeah. And if it's a host web, it just it doesn't have anything in it. It just has a, a client ID, a product ID, and a and the redirect URL, the start URL for the app. Yeah. And so when the user clicks on that, right, the redirect, instead of being to a SharePoint site, is over to my host. The host goes, where did it come from? Sees the site, because that creates a security context and there's a token. And it goes, ah, and it looks in the site and sees, oh, this app hasn't been deployed yet. So it runs through the deployment cycle and you know, adds everything to the site. Or maybe it sees that the app has been deployed and it doesn't need to do anything, so it just redirects them back to the site. Right. A third scenario could be that it looks at it and goes, this app's been deployed, but it's out of date. And in that case, it pushes the updates silently um, to the user. So, you know, it's really a nice system because by allowing the push and the pull, uh, unless you're using things that require identity, like uh, remote event receivers, for example or an app, you know, you're you're reaching into the site with an app-only identity. In the cases where you're not doing those things, you could push it to the site, you could pull it to the site, either one, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's neat. Yes. And so, um, you know, obviously, you're not using any of the, the feature-type technology at all you do. You're doing all this by remote provisioning, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. The remote provisioning stuff is uh, something that I've been working on really since the beginning of the app model. And back in the day, I had... I was getting into debates with people in the blog sphere about what the right way to do things was. And uh, a lot of times they were devolving into just the other side was saying, well, the app model isn't any good. And uh, so I, I decided it was kind of a waste of time at that point um, to try to convince people that who hadn't done it. And you uh, know, I went back into my little developer cave and started working on these tools but
0: <laughs> <laughs> sadly i don't have that ability to do that,
2: <laughs> yeah, but uh since then you know the the patterns of practices team have have a nice provisioning engine that they put together that 's based on visual studio, and uh, there are a couple of other open source uh projects that have kind of validated the approach that um, that I started with and i i 'm not saying that I was necessarily smart it 's just the if you spend enough time, eventually that's where you wind up because it's yeah. the best way to do it.
0: And and what did you use? Were you C# or were you REST with what you were doing?
2: Yeah, so I'm using CSOM for uh, when I'm writing C# code. I don't I don't like REST. Um, I'm not against REST if it's wrapped with a, a good fluent API. Like you guys turned me onto that Viper uh, framework that you're using. Yeah, uh, that's really neat. Um, But I I know you've heard the conversations between uh, Andrew Connell and myself. You know, he's a big proponent um, of using the REST APIs. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I just, uh, I like the clean sort of expressiveness that a fluent API CSOM gives me. And uh, at the beginning, uh, this isn't the case now, but at the beginning, the REST APIs couldn't batch anything. Right, it right, was real right. chatty. So, so if I had tried to implement my provisioning engine using REST, it would have been. In fact, I did a little testing, and you know, it was orders of magnitude slower. So that that ability to cause fifty fields to come into existence all at once, you know, and a bunch of lists to come all in once, you know, with with rounds of layered uh, calls. Um, CSOM's batching was a clear winner.
0: And so you talk about artifacts like you know from a generic perspective regardless of your your um, your solution what what are the typical things that developers are, are creating inside of SharePoint when, when they're building out these end-to-end solutions?
2: Yeah so that's a good question it depends on on what mode of development they're in, right? If if they've bought off on the idea of the provider hosted app where they're putting their whole UI outside of SharePoint, then in those cases, they're probably just creating lists and document libraries and content types and fields, maybe some permissions, that sort of thing. Um, But if they're coming from a scenario where they're taking what was a farm solution or a sandbox solution where the user interface is in SharePoint and they want to lift it up and move it, in that case, they're also going to be provisioning um, wiki or web part pages, publishing pages, um, you know, all manner of files, really. But those... Those and workflows are are special. You have to. You can't just drop them into the site and have them work. If uh, if you're going to create a page that's got six web parts and they're in particular places and there's text around it, that's really a complicated operation. So being able to turn that into click, 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 done uh, for me was really important. Um, and, the, and the, the code, original procedural code I had for that was just really hard to maintain.
0: Yeah, and I guess this automates it in a way that you know, you've you kind of leveled it up a little bit higher in terms of taking not just what you've built, but other people have deployed as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it 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 lets you focus on the the actual features you want to build. I mean, an anecdote that kind of proves what I'm saying is a, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months, I don't know. I was working with Dan Addis Um on a product that BNR Solutions has, which is a records management system for uh, real estate investment companies. Really neat. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was, or it might've been a different thing. I don't know. I work with Dan a lot, but uh, he was asking me uh, about the syntax for the everyone user um, because he was trying to create a, a role definition. And I was like, Hmm, I don't know. Let's find out. So I went into SharePoint and I Created a unique permission for a thing called, you know, and assigned it to it, and then I went into my tool and I clicked the button to pull it in. I was like, "That's what it looks like right there." It's a lot safer to let the the tools do the heavy lifting for you than it is to try to understand all of its little wrinkles.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so it'll go through and identify all those bits and pieces that are custom.
2: Well, you have to tell it what you want, right? That's what. That in that way, it's different than say SaveSight as template, right, which gives you everything that's in the container that you're uh that you're pulling out. Yeah, so you have to pick and choose. Yeah, you have to pick and choose. So it it doesn't it doesn't replace the need to have a brain. <laughs> and 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 I don't want to make it sound like it's magic, right? I mean, you still have some decisions to make. Like if you pulled a a document library in and it said this library has got some fields that aren't in your app. You know, those fields are probably SharePoint infrastructure things that got added in. Like I know Office 365, I've noticed recently is uh, some of the new features have come online. There's all sorts of interesting new things appearing attached to stuff that you don't see on-prem. You might not even have known they were there until you started examining it. So you still have to understand SharePoint to use it. And um,
0: I guess... From that aspect, when it when it comes to like knowing SharePoint, I know you mentioned about Fab forty templates. What did you use to test your application was working? Was that something that you poked around at?
2: Oh man, yeah, I can't believe I thanks for remembering to ask me that. Um yeah, so of course I had my production apps and uh and we talked about uh, Cloud AG and Service Point, which uses the framework. Uh and I have consulting customers that I had um you know, leverage those tools to to build their solutions for it. But last fall, when uh, I was really trying to firm up the provisioning engine, I started looking around for as many different solutions as I could find to test against. And uh, a friend of mine said, why don't you do the Fab 40? There's 40 of those. Uh, I was like, really? There's 40 in the Fab 40? <laughs> so uh, so I... Uh, I uh, created a WSS3 site and installed them and created sites and then I migrated that through 2010 and up to 2013 uh, and then I started pointing the uh, the tools at it and I you know I shook out a lot of different scenarios. It, uh, it took me, I spent about a month, uh, the month of December uh, doing that and I wound up doing 20 of the Fab40 templates and there are 20 kind of random ones. I just looked at the list and went, oh, this one looks good. I think I'll do it next. And that was a really good experience. It, it taught me a lot about, you know, th- the flaws with the full trust code model that I hadn't really ever considered before. Yeah. Well, that I sort of knew about, but I didn't realize just, you know, how big of problems they were. Like the web solution package Fab40 templates, right? So Fab40 were divided into 20 site templates and 20 web solution packages. But those those 20 web solution packages have um, a whole bunch of list definitions in them. And the list definitions use custom list templates in order to create a basic list with views. right? So for example, they have a discussion list that is a custom list type that's exactly like a custom uh, a discussion list except it has one more view on it. Every basically all of those uh, have examples of that. And the result of it is that's why you have to have the the uh, packages installed on the server in order for the site to work. If you think about how bizarre that is, right? It's all the site's already been created, it's got data in it. But unless you put that definition on the disk, SharePoint can't understand it. Yeah. It's like uh if the factory that built your car burned down and you went out the next morning your car would be a pile of rubble. You know, so I went had to go through that experience and and uh and that definitely wasn't purely magic because I had to go okay, this this calendar uh has this made up list in, you know list template ID on it that isn't going to exist in Office 365 so i had to revert that to the right one and then you know basically apply the views okay yeah so so that's a good example of where you kind of have to in some cases know what you're doing if you're not starting from scratch if you're starting from scratch and you're on office 365 it's a dream right because you're not going to have anything like that
0: right there's not those things in there to do it uh-huh so so do you think that from your perspective that your tool like uh, we had mark um, Rackley on the show two two or three episodes ago, where he was talking about client side development and poking around with JavaScript in site collections with SharePoint Designer or direct in the web UI. Is it feasible that if he's doing things that way, that your tool could pick those things up and push them into other environments as well?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I haven't uh, been able to hook up with Mark yet. We've talked, and I'm I'm actually hoping to have his form package listed as a component uh inside the store, but uh we've been talking to uh uh another vendor. I guess I can say who it was. I've been talking to Eric Overfield at Pixel Mill. I don't know if you know Eric. Yeah. Right, but they
0: Yeah, I know Eric, yeah.
2: They've got a. um or, or he he participated in a community project for Bootstrap uh responsive SharePoint. Yep. Uh, Darcy Hess and a few other people did it. And so I was, I was doing a meeting with him a couple of weeks ago. we were going to talk about his commercial products. And I, I said, uh, you know, before we meet, I'll do your, uh, I'll do one of those community projects. I'll, I'll just convert it. And, uh, he's like, Oh yeah, cool. So, You know, like two weeks go by and I'm working on other stuff, and it's the morning of the meeting. I'm going to meet with him that afternoon. I'm like, crap, I told him I was going to do that and I didn't do it. So I, you know, I went out and I got the sandbox solution of their bootstrap templates. And uh, I guess it took about an hour to completely convert that over. Uh, to oh, the model, that's awesome. yeah. So when you and when you install that, it turns on the publishing infrastructure and the publishing features, and it uploads the Bootstrap master pages and the CSS files and creates the page layouts and and all of that stuff. And you know, the process of creating it was basically click, 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 click. That's neat. Yeah, I, I I'm really uh, looking forward to having this in the hands of people um, here in the next uh, next week. I'll be releasing it all in beta mode. So it's been a long, long road to get to this point, but everybody who's seen it has been extremely complimentary, except for one person who made fun of me. He's like, Oh, developers don't want to use a tool like that. They want to use visual studio.
0: Yeah. We're finding, I mean, I was just talking with the visual studio code guys and they're using a lot of Yeoman and like generators to pull scaffolding into bare bone projects to kind of get people going. And we're looking at doing that for our stuff um, and using visual studio code to build like office add in So you don't need to kind of, have visual studio 2013 or 15 to kind of get going on things. So it'll be interesting to see um you know like w- what take up we get over just like people as you say people using visual studio because that's just where that where they are all day long, right? Yeah. And I think it's a similar argument for you like it's just a different way of kind of using a web browser to kind of click things through and get things done.
2: Yeah, I think that people that this is really going to help the most uh other than ISVs and you know, people like me who have lots of packages uh, are going to be people who have farm solutions that they inherited from somebody, but and their administrators and SharePoint designer users. You know, they understand SharePoint, um, but. It's a little bit much to ask to say, okay, you have to crack open Visual Studio in order to translate your Camel XML into something that's compatible with Office 365 or or the cloud model, generally speaking. Right, right, right. And those people have just been kind of left out in the cold. So I'm hoping to to light a candle rather than curse their darkness.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and it's the same kind of argument that Mark had on the show recently around that, you know, like, don't make us go somewhere where we're not we're not comfortable with doing essentially.
2: Yeah. I I mean, you know, so I said I was an access MVP. I've built, huge distributed systems. This system that we're talking about um, is, you know, Azure uh, cloud services, with uh, web roles and worker roles, and it's got service bus in the background, and it's using storage and SQL Azure, and I'm using Angular JS and any framework, and this whole alphabet soup of technologies, right? I'm a developer. I'm an experienced developer who's been working for a long time. But the reason that I liked Access and the reason that I like SharePoint is because it allows developers to leverage what's there to build really great tools or really great solutions, but it also lets um, the department manager whip up a solution for their department, right, without having to crack open a 500-page book on how to learn how to program Angular in 24 hours. Right, right. You know, I, I think that's a beautiful thing. It's it's easy as a developer to kind of go, ah, you know, not everybody can build software, but Eventually, it, it needs to get to that point where people can build automations for themselves, you, you know, especially for, for simple one-off solutions. You don't you shouldn't have to spend four years at, at programmer school to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes we forget that with what we, we push so hard on the, the pro dev story. And I think there's some news which I can't disclose in this show because I don't want to be the one that announces this, but there's some big news coming that hopefully will put Thafe back into the SharePoint product itself um more so than what julia white said there's been some restructuring internally and um it'll definitely highlight where things are going so i'm kind of pumped that the um you know we've heard it loud and clear from the community and from customers that you know sharepoint wasn't getting the love it needed and um definitely will be now let me tell you that
2: (laughs) oh that's awesome i mean it's it's that's that's great news but I cut you guys some slack. I mean, you know that uh, on on private message boards that we're on that sometimes I can be pretty darn critical. But at the same time, you had to build a whole bunch of new APIs and authentication infrastructure and and everything else um, in order to be enabling technologies to be able to move forward. I mean, SharePoint can't stay stuck on ASP.NET web forms uh, forever. So I've, I've viewed these last couple of years as a a transitional period, and and personally I'm grateful for it because it's given me the opportunity as a Microsoft partner to look at what I see as a, a big need out there and attempt to address it. Hopefully I'll be successful and will be glad that I spent the time doing it. But uh, if you guys were awesome and were doing everything, there'd be no partner ecosystems. Oh so. well,
0: yeah, that's it. That it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? If yeah. we were good at everything, then we wouldn't need partners. But I think that's just the nature of what we've understood and respected for a long time. Which I think other platforms don't do a good job of it, or they don't like it when partners come out and go, "Well, we've f- filled this gap with this product," um, whereas we kind of celebrate that. And WPC is you know a great example of that celebration where we actually award people and kind of really showcase what, what people have done, which is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I'll be there next year. It'll be good to, to have a product.
0: It'd be good to have you there. I think um, it looks like they've had fun this week. I'm looking forward to hearing some stories from CJ, who's been there all week. His calendar was ridiculous, to the point where he almost had a pee break that's how many partners he was meeting on a daily basis. Um, so I'm sure he's going to be very slow and tired um, when he comes in tomorrow. But... Um, it's a good week to find out what people are doing.
2: Uh, that's a great event. We, When I was uh, at Magenic, the one year we won Worldwide Partner of the Year. And uh, their headquarters is in Minneapolis. And that year, the Worldwide Partner Conference was in Minneapolis. And uh, I mean, I was wrecked for like two weeks after it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I suspect the MVP Summit will be a bit like that too. Yeah, I imagine
2: so. All work and no play, Jeremy.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, so... Where can people find out about your stuff? Where, where could they go and look at your um, the, your small business kind of add-ins that you've already got in the store and and look at this other stuff too?
2: My website is uh, instantquick.com and uh, that's where the blog is. Uh, this tool and a marketplace of components is located at apps.instantquick.com and uh you know, that's the best place to go. You can uh you can kick the tires on uh, on the tool and, and do some stuff without having to spend any money. Now of course I do hope that people spend money. I'll be a sad panda. Uh, <laughs> otherwise. But uh mouths to feed, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness, i got a thirteen-year-old daughter and a ten-year-old son, and I, I swear they empty the refrigerator like every two days. <laughs> but yeah, so uh it's called uh, it's called IQ App Central and it's uh apps.instantquick.com.
0: Okay, IQ app dot com. All right, I'll make sure they get there in the show notes. And then there was two events locally in your area you wanted to give a shout out to too.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm uh, part of a nonprofit. I'm not the the leader of it. That's Dan Addis, who's a, another SharePoint MVP uh, of uh, along with Jim Woolley uh, and Sergey Beresky of a thing called the. Developers Association of Georgia, and we do uh, as an umbrella uh, SharePoint Saturday and Atlanta Code Camp, and this year we're also doing Cloud Saturday, and uh, that's coming up in September. Uh, I think it's September 19th. I'll give you the actual date for show notes. It's a, a testament to how busy I've been that I don't know that right off the top of my head. But uh and then uh Atlanta Code Camp is going to be right on the heels of that in October. So if you're listening to this and you are a cloud person, not just a SharePoint person or an Office 365 person or an Azure person, uh you know, we're looking for AWS, Salesforce, uh if that if this then that, you know, cloud generic Please uh, hit our website, uh, which will also give you the address uh, for the show notes and uh, fill out the call for speakers. And we would love to have you there.
0: Yeah, it's good fun down there. I've had a, a few good conferences down in Atlanta, whether it's been tech eds or uh, I think I think down for customers and stuff. It's a really good city to kind of explore, very different to everyone else in the States. But I find that with every state I go to, it seems to be totally different to the next state. Whereas, you know, when you travel around Britain, and like kind of Australia, they can be quite similar
2: well Georgia's is a, a great a great place to live but if you're going to come visit september and october are two of the nice months
0: yeah because hot Atlanta can get real hot
2: yeah you wouldn't want to be here this week this would be a bad uh you know 95 degrees and uh 95 percent humidity
0: <laughs> yeah not, not that was like when i went and visited andrew connell in florida two weeks ago where we had the daytona and the storm flew in and then disappeared and god it was humid down there
2: yeah thank god for air conditioning if it wasn't for the invention of air conditioning this would be a wasteland uh, the city of atlanta oh be his there.
0: his electric bill scared the hell out of me i'm glad we don't have to do that up here
2: oh and then he bought an electric car to go on top of
0: it yeah that's right just to kind of keep <laughs> topping up that electric bill cool well i really appreciate your time mate and i look forward to um getting to play with that app a little bit more once you've shipped it and um We'll um, see you at the MVP Summit in November. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. I will talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, Doug. Cheers, man. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program. We can get a one-year three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash Office 365 Dev Podcast Yam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.